entering the Freedom Hut. The day after the Mueller meltdown on Capitol Hill, the Democrats are spinning like the madmen and mad women they are. They're still thinking maybe they're going to impeach. This is crazy town, folks. It's the swamp. We'll talk about that and much more coming up on the Buck Sexton Show. This This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. So we had a very good day today. The Republican Party, our country, there was no defense of... What Robert Mueller was trying to defend, in all fairness to Robert Mueller, whether his performance was a bad one or a good one, is no defense to this ridiculous hoax, this witch hunt that's been going on pretty much from the time I came down on the escalator with our first lady. It's a disgrace what happened, but I think today proved a lot to everybody. In fact, some of my biggest opponents wrote things today that I wouldn't have believed they would have written, and I appreciate that they did that. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show. President Trump taking a little bit of a victory lap, something of a victory dance certainly merited yesterday after we learned that the biggest single takeaway, which is that Mueller was a figurehead, that this was all a cover, it was a front for a highly, highly partisan get Trump operation to be hidden behind this man's esteemed public career. But I I knew it was... I knew it was all smoke and mirrors because they said the same thing about Comey, and Comey's a total jerk. Comey is a Comeyist. And Mueller was just, uh, just there to, to provide a shield against criticism and make this thing look like it wasn't that dirty. You know, this was, this was just, you know when you're in the kitchen and if you're feeling really lazy... You instead of sweeping, you just kick everything under the under the the stove and the fridge. I mean, not that any of you do that, but that's that's basically what Mueller's job was. Just make it seem like things were okay when you're really just moving all the dirt around, making sure nobody sees it. You'd think that after yesterday, Democrats would at least take a day or two off. You know, probably move to their other favorite uh, their other favorite pastimes, like just trashing america why don't democrats just do that for a day or two you know let the stench of the of the uh stink bomb that Mueller dropped on capitol hill waft away and you know let aoc explain to americans how much she hates america we've strayed so far away from what has really made us powerful um, and just and good and equitable and productive. And so I think all of these things sound radical compared to where we are, but where we are is not a good thing. And this idea of like 10% better from garbage <laughs> is shouldn't be what we settle for. 10% better as America uh, from from garbage, huh? Man, it's so weird why people who aren't anti-American radicals feel a little uncomfortable with the uh, left-wing Democratic Party today. It's, it's so weird, isn't it? Where, where do we get these ideas that maybe they don't like America so much? 
You know, maybe maybe they've got some problems with this. I mean, they want to control it. They want to pillage it. They want to pilfer it. They want to be in power. But that's not the same thing as liking. You know, you, you don't necessarily if you are brought in to run a company and you think the company has been run like crap and you want to fire everybody and you want to change how it does business and you want to, you know, do you love the company that you're taking over? No, but you might still want to do that because that's how Democrats view America. They think we're a failing corporation, even though they don't understand corporations and they kind of hate corporations, except for the huge ones that give them a lot of money. So there's this whole cognitive dissonance, right? Democrats hate big business, except for like Google right? and, and GE and NBC. Uh, but no, no, they're not going to switch to AOC dominating the news cycle again with how much she hates America or Ilhan Omar saying, as she said, I played the audio for you yesterday. We need to be more scared of white men. That, that, that's what she was saying. I, I'm not making it up. Sitting member of Congress on the foreign relations, I mean, on the foreign relations committee, the House. Democrats will go to the mat to defend every stupid anti-Semitic utterance she makes. In this case, it seemed to be an anti, anti-white male utterance. And no, no, Democrats are still trying to do the whole, oh, no, we won thing from yesterday. We, we got what we needed to get out of that to move on to impeachment. This is, this is where I start to wonder uh, how much longer we have in this country or we can actually all live in the same country together. Like we, we might have to consciously uncouple from Democrats if they stay with this. Like we'll divide up the country in half or something. They can have their half. We'll have our half. And they can, you know, they can turn their half of the country into, you know, the streets of San Francisco right now with the, you know, the poop patrols uh, and the needles everywhere and all this other stuff. They they can run it, right? They can run their part of the country that way. We'll run the we'll run a country where you have rule of law, contracts are enforced, individual responsibility is still expected. Um, but no, no, they they still think that they got. Pretty close to what they need for uh, for impeachment. At least some some of them do. And I, I sit here and I just wonder how much worse could it have gone. I, what you realize is that they it doesn't matter what happened yesterday. Bob Mueller could have stood up and said, "I was I was totally used in this process. I knew Trump didn't collude within the first month of taking this job. I was." You know, told to go fly fish while they would just use my name as a battering ram against anyone who tried to criticize what was going on. And I think what's been done to the president is unfair and this never should have happened. If Mueller had said all of that, I assure you, I assure you, Adam Schiff would still be running around talking about impeachment. 2020 is unquestionably the only way he gets removed from office, so we can never lose sight of that. Um, I have tried to put the political question out of my head, that is, does an impeachment help us in 2020 or does it hurt us politically? Because I don't think it's the right question to ask. But we do need to be realistic, and that is the only way he's leaving office, uh, at least at this point, is by being voted out. And I think our efforts need to be made uh, in every respect to make sure we turn out our people. But on the policy question, what's the best thing? What's the right thing for the country? Should we put the country through an impeachment? Uh, I haven't been convinced yet that we should. And uh, going through that kind of momentous uh, and disruptive uh, experience for the country, I think, is not something we go into lightly. 
But he hasn't been convinced that we shouldn't. You'll notice the door is still open. <laughs> I mean, that is such a shifty shift. You know, well, clearly the only way that Donald Trump is not going to be president at this point is going to be if he if he uh, is elected out of office. That's not shift being reasonable. That's just him recognizing that Republicans have a majority in the Senate, folks. He's he's not saying, oh, you know, well, uh, uh, this is a very reasonable position I'm taking. He's trying to make it sound like he's being reasonable. Well, let's let's be adults here. I mean, the only way is is he's going to get removed from office. Yeah, that's because of Republicans having a majority in the Senate. And they would need two-thirds to remove him from office anyway, which is never going to happen. Meanwhile, he goes, oh, I'm not sure about the impeachment or whether we... Impeachment is not about what it would do for our political fortunes in 2020, he's presenting. It's really about whether it's the right thing to do. Okay, well, they've been saying that the president committed treason, he's basically Hitler, he's running concentration camps, so if it's about right and wrong... And he's really wrong. Don't you impeach him? Be, you know what else do you need to know? They're they're just they don't have the courage of their crazy convictions. They're not even sure what they want to do, but they want you to believe that it's not all a cynical political calculation. It's about what's right. <laughs> I mean, these people are. This is bonkers. This is bonkers. Oh, let's hear from a. Is it really? Is Andy McCabe weighing in on this one? Lying under oath to his own FBI, McCabe, leaking and then uh, yelling at people, pretending that they leaked when he's their boss at the FBI. That is it that Andy McCabe here we're talking about? Or is it a different Andrew McCabe? I don't know. Let's let's hear from him. It's at the very beginnings of this investigation. We confronted some very hard choices, choices that we knew would have uh, negative repercussions on our organization and on us personally. And we made those choices anyway because it was our job and our duty to do so. Uh, I feel strongly that that's the same position Congress is in now, and they should step up to the plate and do their job. It doesn't mean that the president will be removed from office or should be removed from office or will be impeached. But it is absolutely clear to me that the time has come for Congress to pursue a dedicated impeachment inquiry. I think it would solidify their position legally as they begin the process of going into court to fight over access to witnesses. And it would provide a more coordinated um, and coherent approach to having other witnesses come in and testify. Oh, okay, An impeachment inquiry now. By the way, I I want... And, and, and that was acting FBI director, now disgraced and fired, uh, acting former acting FBI director Andrew McCabe. Uh, I, I want an Andrew McCabe lying under oath inquiry. Where's that? I want a felony commission while in the employ of the FBI inquiry about Andy McCabe. The guy, remember, who had struck and page in his office talking about the insurance policy. That's the same guy, folks. Do, do we ever get to find out more about that? Or, or do we just get to find out if he's above the law? We always hear, oh, Trump's not above the law. Is Andy McCabe above the law? Because he lied under oath, which how many people in the much touted list of prosecutions that Nancy Pelosi was putting up yesterday for everybody to see, how many of them were caught for or were, were nailed for lying under oath or maybe just misremembering? Or maybe not even lying. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't believe that General Flynn intentionally lied about anything. I've gone over this a hundred times with a lot of people, including people who have talked to one of the FBI agents who was in the room. And I do not believe that General Flynn intentionally lied about anything. I think that they tripped him up. 
I think that he might have forgotten what he said or, he, you know, you know, he's talking to people all the time and who knows. But, you know, if you're Hillary Clinton, you can you can delete emails under subpoena and they don't treat that as destruction of evidence. If you are General Flynn, you you forget about a completely legal and legitimate conversation you're having with, a, with an ambassador and Sally Yates, that evil little partisan hack from the DOJ trots out some maybe he violated the logan act theory so they could send over i mean the whole it's all so dirty folks these people are horrifying horrifying the way they've abused their power abused everything because they because trump is such a threat to them he's not really a threat to the country he's a threat to the people that you have seen in this process whether it's mccabe or the democrats or the media their sense of how important they are of how meaningful what they do day in and day out is of their worldview of their approach to things of their uh their virtue trump is a threat to all of that and that's why they're so hysterical about all this and this is why you've seen them just living in this fantasy this alternate reality where they can come up after what we saw yesterday which was a a a complete debacle for those who believe that the president was uh, you know, uh, going to be shown to have been a horrible lawbreaker and this was going to start off impeachment, a total debacle. And yet they're still coming out of it saying, oh, no, we, we, we got what, you know, we got what we wanted. <laughs> oh, my God. Now let's go to the impeachment inquiry. Like de- Democrats are the guy that just has no grounds to sue you, but will just keep filing frivolous lawsuits to sue you and sue you and sue you and, and just harass you. I mean, Democrats have turned into Trump stalkers. If you have anything to do with Trump, his family or the administration, they're going to drag you. They're going to send you subpoenas. They're going to drag you in front of Congress. They're just going to harass. It's just harassment. It is harassment. There's no good faith. There's no decency. There's no ethics. These people are a bunch of hysterical nincompoops. And instead of feeling a little ashamed... After what we saw yesterday, they're emboldened in some cases today, which is just, wow. Doubling down on the crazy. We have, we have more of this. By the way, we're going to have my friend uh, Andy McCarthy join us later on. I haven't. I wanted to get some of my favorite voices on this topic in. So later on in the show, probably closer toward the end of the show, we'll have Andy McCarthy. We'll have uh, Sean Davis also from the Federalist joining. He's been, I mean, I've been spitting some fire on Twitter. I need more of you on Twitter, darn it. I need more Team Buck to actually have Twitter accounts. But I've been spitting fire on Twitter. You should check that out. And, uh, man, we have so much show. Stay with me. Is it true the evidence gathered during your investigation did not establish that the president was involved in the underlying crime related to Russian election interference as stated in Volume 1, page 7? We found uh, insufficient uh, evidence of uh, uh, the president's culpability. Uh, so that would be a yes. Without, I'm pardon? That would be a yes. Yes. That's... Thank you. Isn't it true the evidence did not establish that the president or those close to him were involved in the charged Russian computer hacking or active measure conspiracies or that the president otherwise had unlawful relationships with any Russian official? Volume 2, page 76. Correct? I uh, leave the answer to the uh, report. So, uh, yes. Is that any true? Your investigation did not establish the Trump campaign conspired or coordinated with Russian government in the election interference activity. Volume 1, page 2. Volume 1, page 173. Thank you. Yes. Yes, thank you. Couldn't prove it. Can't prove it. And given the attention, the resources, the time spent 
on trying to prove, including particularly uh, stretched theories of the law to get us there, still couldn't prove it. Still couldn't come up with uh, Trump actually work with the Russians. You know, part of this has been what I've been saying all along, which is this was not even a good idea. It's not even a good plot. If Trump were willing to do that, it wouldn't make any sense to do it. And yet here we are being told that nothing, nothing can ever make this stain against the administration go away. I mean, you've got Chris Coons running around saying that this is not a hoax. Of, oh, of course not. Of course not, Congressman Coons. I do think an important part of Mueller's testimony uh, was that he detailed a number of ways in which the president and his senior team attempted to interfere with the investigation. I don't believe it was a hoax or a witch hunt. I think it was an important uh, and appropriate investigation. And I think the fact that special counsel Mueller was able to complete his investigation uh, is something we all should be proud of. Oh, yeah. After yesterday, we should all be real proud of what happened here i don't know how the i don't know how these people go on tv and say these things and just don't feel like complete idiots all these different i mean the democrats yesterday first of all why does nadler i mean not that i'm some some fashion plate or or fashion critic why does nadler walk around with his pants up to like his like the the the, the middle of his chest am i the only one who's i just noticed this yesterday i've heard other people talk about this it seems like a strange Anyway, it doesn't matter, but I'm just Nadler seems like a weird dude. Uh, then you have Pelosi and, and Cummings and uh, and Schiff. I, I guess they're willing to say anything that makes their rabidly anti-Trump constituencies feel like it's all going to be OK. Orange man, bad. Don't worry. These beliefs that you've that you have been indoctrinated with over the course of the last two plus years uh, it's not indicative of a weak mind or an emotionally fragile person. Trump really is the worst thing uh, since Hitler in the universe, according to Libs. I mean, they, they don't move away from this. They, you, you cannot unconvince them of this, and Pelosi and the rest of them have no interest in bringing the truth out here. So this is what we're up against, folks. Oh, we've got more. And I'm not saying they have to conclude that impeachment is justified, but commencing an impeachment proceeding is what the Justice Department thought this report would elicit. They were expecting to have to turn over grand jury evidence, to have to turn over underlying evidence in the course of an impeachment proceeding being commenced. And and I think that if Donald Trump is reelected... And in the second term, maybe a reporter ends up in jail. Maybe one of those investigators being investigated for the third time now ends up in jail. I think that every Democrat that blinked when this document came out will have some explaining to do. Mueller. What, what is MSNBC's Nicole Wallace? What is she talking about? <laughs> it doesn't even make sense. I think that when a reporter is arrested in Trump's second term... And the thing, and the... What? Reporters are... I mean, if you want to talk about arresting reporters, you know who was really scary on that front? Barack Obama. You know he used the Espionage Act more than every president before him combined? Barack Obama's Department of Justice. Hmm. Who who listed a Fox News reporter as an unindicted co-conspirator in an espionage case? 
Barack Obama. You know, I just, oh, but but they, you know, I, I think Jake Tapper asked him a hard question once about this one. So that that then balances it all out. Oh, yeah, they took Obama to task. They were outraged. There was a there was a, a sternly worded editorial once, the New York Times, about how Obama was a, a true threat to press freedom. But, you know, they forgot about that after a day. It wasn't that sternly worded. Trump is going to jail a reporter. He's whining about the Mueller report. It just she doesn't make any sense. Uh, one, one thing that, you know, I've, I've got a couple in New York. I'm here in New York City today. It's my dad's birthday. Happy birthday, Dad. Uh, I got great parents and a great family. It's one of the biggest blessings in my life. Probably the single biggest blessing I have. You know, that and being relatively healthy and, and above ground. Uh, and then having, having great parents and great siblings. Uh, so... I'm here in New York City, so I got New York on the mind. I just there's another video out there of uh, youths throwing buckets of water at police officers on duty, and this time it was two female police officers, and people are laughing and they're videotaping it. And this comes after a similar incident where they're you know they're throwing water, throwing buckets of water at cops who are trying to make an arrest. Uh, this is going to get out of hand very quickly, and you know that the left. You know, if all of a sudden people are throwing stuff at cops and then someone, instead of throwing a, you know, a water balloon or a bucket of water, all of a sudden a brick hits a cop in the head and the police feel like they're, you know, have to defend themselves and things get things get violent. Uh, do you think that they're going to say, oh, maybe we should have tried to instill more respect in young people in their interactions with police? Maybe Democrats shouldn't, with the exception of Comey and Mueller, who are the super cops. You know, they should have capes. These guys are not just cops. They're super cops. That, by the way, is a sly movie reference. And I wonder who will get that. Mark, do you have anything for that one? Yeah, that's right. This is next, le- this is next level movie quote ninja. These guys are not cops. They're super cops. They should have capes. Don't Google it. Don't cheat. But... Back to a real subject matter here for a moment. The throwing of water at cops and the laughing about it. It's just indicative of the district. Look, I know it's just water, but okay, what if what if uh, it's something other than water? What if it's not just water? What if they start throwing other things at cops? Um, it's indicative of, of a lack of respect for law enforcement. That people would laugh about this, find this amusing, I, I think is is uh, is troubling. And I think this is going to go into a a very bad place very quickly. And it's indicative also of, you know, de Blasio, who's going to be in this Democrat Democrat debate, you know, next week. Uh, guy doesn't know anything, has no idea what the heck he's doing, um, but he somehow runs the largest city in the country. And he also has a police force that has largely turned against him. Just, just one more note here. I... I I talk about things, uh, how Democrats have gone crazy, and I know that, and we're going to talk a little more about climate change, because, oh, guess what? It's hot. So that means that there must be evidence of, of catastrophic climate change. It's also known as summer, but we'll get, we'll get to that in a few moments. Um, how, how whacked out are the Democrats right now? I mean, how, how desperate are they to out-loony each other in order to get the votes of leftists who... It's hard to overstate the the bonkers, the degree of bonkers that we're talking about here. Uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, they're really they're testing out. I feel like I have to be a human thesaurus here on radio because there's how, how many different ways can you think of to say someone just is 
not dealing in reality, that they're crazy, that they're insane, that they're loony, that they're, I'm, I'm running out of ways, but that's what we're dealing with. I mean, Gillibrand put out today what she's calling a, quote, climate change moonshot plan. Who wants to take a guess how much the climate change moonshot plan is going to cost? Who wants to take a guess? Ten trillion dollars. There you go. She's going to mobilize, quote, ten trillion dollars in public and private funds over the next decade to achieve her goal. Senator Gillibrand called for an excise tax on fossil fuel production, hoping to generate $100 billion a year to combat climate change. She also said she would put a $52 per metric ton price on carbon to deter companies from using fossil fuels. This is a massive tax increase on everything that is productive and worthwhile in our economy. And for what? Spending money to combat climate change, we don't even know how to do that, how we would do that. Spending money to combat climate change in, 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 with what mechanism? And this, this, we'll get back to this because, of course, it's, it's hot outside, so we're hearing now about the climate change thing. But they write about spending trillions of dollars as though it's, you know, no big deal. Yeah, what's, what's another $10 trillion to add into the mix here? And I, I know Trump. I haven't, I'm not skipping it. I, had a, I want my friend Maddie, du- Maddie uh, Duppler, whom I call Dupples. I've known her for 10 years. She couldn't come on today. I want to have her come on probably tomorrow to talk about the budget deal because she's a, all she does is look at budgets and numbers. And this, this budget deal that Trump's going to sign, it's a bad deal. For, it's too much. We're spending too much money. I know. I'm the Ebenezer Scrooge of the federal government. But I will not forget that I came into conservative media at a time when the single biggest concern of our political ideology was overspending and debt. And it has only gotten worse since then, and nobody seems to care. And I know that Trump right now is riding high on this great economy, but in how are we going to feel in a year if all of a sudden there's some real, not just shakiness, there's a real correction from all the debt out there, from all the, all the promises to pay that are, are going to have to be met. And we did nothing now. I know, I know. No, no one really wants to hear about it. Everyone wants to just add, let's, let's keep the party going. The left is nuts. Pelosi and her whole crew can't, can't figure anything out, so Trump is going to win. That's the good news. The bad news is if the economy craters on another Republican's watch, we're going to get socialism, folks. That's what comes next. Trust me. In the month of August, our members will accelerate a drumbeat across the nation. We will, make, we will own August for the people. We will own August and make it too hot to handle for the Senate not to take up our our bills. Yeah, guess what, Nancy? The Senate's not going to take up your bills. So you can talk about that as much as you want. And I know she, she looks she was trying to be a little funny there. I see. Unlike Libs, I, I hate just just eradicating joy and humor as a as a matter of course i i don't think that that's something we should all strive to do libs like to eliminate humor and joy that's they 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 want to because that way they have tremendous control you know the most interesting part of the conversation we had with uh, kevin williamson yesterday who look i I know some of you probably like buck kevin williamson very talented writer really one of i'd say he's one of the 10 best columnists in the united states right now for for pure writing ability i'm not saying i agree with everything he writes though i do agree with a lot of it but for just pure skill with the pen, so to speak, or with the keyboard, 
Uh, he's he's top ten, and uh, but his point about how the libs want to just control, they want to show that they can control these institutions. That is that is an important insight. It's not so much about the individual necessarily, although there is a messaging that comes from that. I always say you don't have to burn down every village. You don't even have to burn down every house. Sometimes you just have to burn down one with everyone watching, and the point is made. Um, but what you see here is that they also want to be able to dictate what is acceptable at these institutions in general. And then the institution knows. So it's not just to punish the individual that they're going after. It's to make sure that that institution is uh, kept within the certain boundaries that the left sets for it. Yeah, Pelosi saying that there's going to be a drumbeat across the country. That That's that's definitely not going to, that's not going to happen. Um, it is not going to be a reality here. But I do think we have to remember that uh, uh, this is it's not going to stop. Uh, this is not going away either. There's just going to be a Democrat effort to smear the president, to keep this in the headlines, to make sure that everyone continues to think about this and, and talk about this. And, uh, you know, you you can't you can't let them set the narrative because then they're just going to be focused in on he was not exonerated all the time. He was not exonerated. And this, this is crazy. Right. This new standard that has been set up. Um, Trey Gowdy spoke about this, and, uh, and I, I think that, that Trey pretty much hit it on the head. You have no duty to prove your own innocence. In fact, you can't prove your own innocence. And then you, you factor into this, John, that 60 Democrats wanted to impeach President Trump before Mueller said a single solitary word in his report. I mean, how would you react if you were accused of a crime for which you could be hanged? What would your reaction be? I mean, I think your defense would be pretty vigorous. Yep. You would be pretty upset about that, wouldn't you? If you were accused of treason, I think any one of us, uh, anybody listening to this, if you're accused of treason and then the response you got from your inquisitors was, well, we couldn't prove it, but we're still going to say that you're guilty because you couldn't unprove it. And that's why this never never goes away entirely. That's why there's really no, no end in sight to the uh, insanity from the left here. Uh, because they've managed to create a storyline where there's no, it, it never goes away. Okay, we don't have the evidence yet, but we might. So let's just say that it's any day now we're going to have the evidence. Just like, you know, they say any day now, you know, Trump's going to go to prison or he's not going to be in office anymore. This is, they're, they're trying to wish away this, uh, this presidency. And that's why they're going to they're stick to this no matter what happens. They're going to keep going. In fact, today in the Oversight Committee, in, in, in less than an hour, we're going to start. Uh, and they're going, to, they're going to issue subpoenas for Jared Kushner and Ivanka uh, Trump's emails. I mean, they're never going to stop going after the president and the first family and anything associated with the Trump administration. So we know that's going to happen. But remember this. Most of the country knows the truth, which is there is no basis for impeachment. There is no basis for impeachment. Democrats have not accepted that yet. Uh, in fact, I think there are a lot of Democrats who are, are going to right now. They're a little uncertain about how to make it seem like yesterday wasn't so terrible, but they'll be right back on the same talking points next week. It never stops. You, you can't. There, there's like a, a, a shield of perception that you can never pierce with these leftists, with these libs. It, it will never really 
go away. You're, you're, un, you're unable, you're incapable of making them understand that uh, there's just not, there's just nothing to support what they're saying anymore. I mean, he, here's a perfect example of this. I mean, this is the, the, the Chuck Todd uh, the Chuck Todd response after yesterday, you know, Chuck Todd, it's a he's a very lucky guy <laughs> to have the job he does. Do it. That's all I'll tell you. Very lucky guy. Uh, but here's what he had to say about the Mueller hearing. To our panel, I asked the question, is it mission accomplished if that was the goal? If that was the goal, it's a complete failure on that front. Look, I think on substance, Democrats got what they wanted. They got him to confirm that that he didn't make a charge because of the of the Justice Department memo. He confirmed that you can still indict him on these charges after he leaves office. And he seemed to confirm the idea that under any other circumstance, he likely would have filed some charges. So they got some substance of what they wanted him, some of that. But he provided such, what do you call it, uncomfortable clarity. It would, he, as they were using him for clarity, he'd somehow fog it up. But he'd, he'd um, and how he would do certain things. And, and so, look, on optics, this was a disaster. But he directly refuted the president's notion that he had been exonerated. That's what I mean. On substance, they got what they wanted out of him. But because they were looking for this dramatic moment that would capture the imagination. And I think for those members of the remember, House Judiciary Committee Democrats do believe they should start impeachment. I mean, this is just delusional. It's just delusional. They got first of all, what he said about how. It didn't make a charge because the OLC. Mueller specifically after the hearing was like, no, no, that's not what I was saying. He chose not to choose. That is that is the Mueller position on this. He chose not to choose whether to uh, to indict or not to indict, which is bizarre. Um, but then when he you know, seemed to confirm, he didn't seem to confirm any of these things. This, this is Democrats saw in that hearing what they wanted to see, irrespective of what the actual hearing was, which was a meltdown of the whole Mueller is America's top cop. You know, this guy's indefatigable. You'll never be able to corrupt him. And he's being totally fair to Trump. And he's all squared away. And he knows exactly what's going on. No, this is Weissman and his little Democrat band ruining lives, bankrupting people, threatening people, destroying people because they're left-wing partisan hacks. Because they are vile, dishonorable libs in power. That's what the that was the real takeaway from yesterday. But the, the takeaway for like Chuck Todd here, I don't know, Chuck. I, I don't know what hearing he was watching. The optics were a disaster. It wasn't just the optics, dude. It was the recognition, the moment of of understanding that we all came to that. Oh, this whole thing was a was a fraud, was a scam. Meaning that it's not the Mueller report, it's not the Mueller commission, it was just put somebody there as a shield against criticism and to give a false sense of credibility and gravitas to this whole thing so that it has a better chance of ruining Trump and those people around him because we can't create the outcry and the political pressure to shut this sham down. But that's not, that's not optics. That's the very heart and soul of the whole thing. Uh, you know, and the fact that the fact that I mean, this hour we still have Democrats saying maybe they're going to impeach anyway. I mean, so we go through all this for what? What was the whole point of the Mueller probe? They're going to they're going to impeach him now, even even after everything we've seen. They're, that means they're going to impeach him in the beginning. By the way, I, I say go for it. They should try. I think they'd be delivering the president. I think they'd be delivering four more years to the president. I really do. But 
We'll see. More coming up. And we put together a commission where we had every single person in Europe running for office in any one of the, the NATO states take a pledge, a pledge, a public pledge that I'm the only one that I'm aware of has taken so far, that if, in fact, I find out anything at all that is going on in terms of trying to alter the election, whether it's helping me or not helping me, I will immediately go to the intelligence community and the FBI. This president said he'd accept that information. It is outrageous, it is un-American, and it's close to treasonous. I mean, this is supposed to be virtue signaling from Biden, but it's really idiot signaling. He's showing us all that he's an idiot and he doesn't know anything. Uh, this is also one of those, this is an, a, a, a point, a narrative that I, I can't seem to pierce with logic. Uh, I, I can't get leftists to understand this. If you think that information about a political opponent that comes from a foreign source is somehow illegal and treasonous, I need to know how Christopher Steele giving Russian subsource information to the FBI and to journalists on behalf of Hillary is not treasonous. That's point one. Point two, if a campaign was being told, let's say, by a by Russia, I mean, oh, Russia, Russia, we've all been made to think that Russia is about to invade or something. It could be any foreign country. It could be China. If a Chinese source in Beijing said, hey, we've got video of Hillary Clinton when she was secretary of, of state Straight up saying, you know, it's going to you know, give Bill half a million dollars and I'll make sure that trade that trade agreement goes through. You know, give Bill a half million dollars for one of his speeches that are so good. I'm just going to go to Beijing, give a speech, you know, eat some wontons, talk to some ladies. You know, if that video existed and the, and the Chinese offered that to a, a, the Trump campaign in 2016, is the expectation really going to be? That you'd say, oh, I don't, I can't, I can't see that video. Oh, oh, oh. This is idiocy. Of course you'd say, let me see the video. Of course evidence of, of corruption overseas by your political candidate's fair game. Of course it is. Okay, let, let, let's, do, let's do a thought experiment in a way that even libs would have a hard time slithering away from. What if Donald Trump, what if the videos, the so-called golden shower videos... I know it's gross, but what if it really existed? And what if a Russian official had sent those videos to the Clinton campaign, sent them people saying, hey, guys, delivering you the election. Here's Trump, with a, which, you know, who knows if this would have even changed the election result. But here's Trump with a bunch of Russian prostitutes doing some very unspeakable things. There you go. Does anybody think that the Hillary campaign would sit on those and say, oh, no, sorry, we're not going to run that. It came from a foreign source. NBC sat on a tape that was from an open mic from, what, 10 years ago? Uh, you know, offset in a show? And uh, classic October surprise. I mean, the corporate media was in the bag colluding with the Hillary campaign. You think that they would have been too too ethical to use the video, the golden shower videos if they had, ex- if they had existed, which they don't. But I'm just, when you, when you play this out, this is such a stupid point. I can't accept a thing of value. Okay, if you see something reported by the BBC, does that mean you can't use it? What if it's reported by the BBC and then it's picked up by the New York Times? Is that a thing of value from a foreign source that your campaign can't use? This is idiocy, folks. It's a non-point point, and that's why 
Biden's virtue signaling is really idiot signaling, but that's not surprising. Bombshell. Today is a turning point. Today was historically bad for President Trump. Today was a turning point. Rumblings of the word impeachment. Breaking news. Another bombshell out of the White House. I believe this is the beginning of the end. I do too. All the walls closing in on him. The walls closing in on him. You think this is a tipping point? December 1st, 2017, you can mark it down. This is the day that everything changed. Donald Trump is in a lot of trouble. Trump is in trouble. The president will resign. Another hour, another bombshell. This is a tipping point. Trump's going down. This president could be impeached. Resignation. Resignation. I don't think this president is going to serve out his term. Mr. Trump will not serve out his term. He will not serve out his term. No way. Donald Trump is not. He's done. And it's over. It's over. Oh, but it's not over, is it? (laughs) I love this. The walls are closing in. It's the beginning of the end for... That's like over the last two years. You just hear this stuff all the time. Just constant nonsense from all these different journos who are wrong and wrong and wrong again and they never learn the lesson they don't care that they're wrong they don't care that what they've been saying is untrue they say it because they want it to be true and more importantly their audience wants it to be true and this is where you have this enormous disconnect in the media right now and here's the the basics of the disconnect Uh, You have many different channels that are offering, trying to present this as as traditional journalistic enterprises, which they are not. They are advocacy organizations. They are propaganda machines fighting for one side of the ideological spectrum under the false flag of journalistic neutrality. But they... They keep doing this. They keep on being wrong. And it's because that's what their audience wants to hear. It doesn't matter. That's why there's no accountability for the wrongness, really. I mean, yeah, some people figure out that CNN is a sham and that it should be. I mean, CNN really should be scrapped and restarted. And they should basically fire all the primetime hosts. They should get rid of half of the editorial staff they currently have. Bring in people who don't approach their jobs like Democrat Party activists. Maybe bring in some conservatives. At least you have some balance to be off camera on the on the producer side. And then but, you know, they would say that that's not going to work because there's really no need for a 24 uh, seven wire service anymore, which is effectively what you're talking about. I mean, if you're not going to do opinion, how much news is there really on any given day that people want to hear? Not enough to fill 24 hours if you're just cutting opinion out of it entirely. But CNN is a is a joke, uh, and it still makes a lot of money. It's very influential. It's a very powerful corporate brand. People will advertise that you know CNN is considered very safe because it's been around for a long time as an advertising play, even though they've got hosts who are every bit as controversial, every bit as risky as what you'd see on far left stations these days. And there was one moment of honesty though that came out on this last uh last night and it came from my buddy you know we haven't heard from him in a while we haven't gotten a chance to hang with our friend gurgling with gergen david gergen goes on tv and talks like this and rick nixon reagan back in the days and 
you know, back when, you know, he goes on TV. I used to do panels with him. I was like, what is this guy mumbling about? Nixon, Reagan, Ford, White House, Watergate. But, you know, he's old and he mumbles and he's apparently worked for every president stretching back to Abraham Lincoln. So they like to put this guy on TV. Uh, But he did say something uh, somewhat astute. Last night, maybe by accident, and occasionally he's just going to hit a bullseye because he fires enough rounds, right? Here you go. Gurgling with Gergen actually hit the center of the target. You know, they presented things, frankly, have, we haven't talked about much on CNN. Aspects of this that are on the right, but we don't, you know, we haven't visited them because we don't put much stock in a lot of what they're arguing. Um, but nonetheless, I, I did not think it was a disaster. They brought up things we don't really talk about on CNN. Yeah, that's right. You don't talk about it on CNN because you don't have any conservatives on CNN anymore. You don't have any Republicans who aren't never Trumpers. And never Trumpers are doing the work of the Democratic Party. That is that is a fact. It's just a fact. It's one thing if you want to just, you know, step aside and make arguments about but you know, make arguments about different policy issues and still be conservative. You don't, I'm not saying you have to be a cheerleader for Trump. No, of course not. But if you are actively trying to tear down the administration, even when the administration is pursuing conservative policy because you're a never-Trumper, you have such principles, guess what? You're doing the other side's work for them. There's no other, there's no alternative reality here. That's what's happening. So they don't have anybody on, on CNN who presents the point of view that at least half the country has that the Mueller probe is a sham that this whole thing has been shown to be a politicized get Trump operation to make the case you know I had for example some of you may have seen this clip I wish we had we don't have it handy right now otherwise I play it for you but you know I had this this moment where a guy who's a Democrat strategist was on my show at the Hill when I used to be at the Hill and I said uh you know, he came at me with the whole Russia collusion thing, you know. Well, he Donald Trump was willing to take foreign, you know, the storyline is basically Donald Trump is willing to take foreign oppo research, which shows a willingness to take a thing of value from a foreign government, which is in itself a violation of campaign finance and, you know, undermines our democracy, all this stuff. And I said to this guy, OK, back up a second, buddy. Hillary Clinton through, you know, her campaign, through a law firm, hired a foreigner to go ask a bunch of other foreigners, Russians no less, for information to destroy Trump, and not only ran that in the press as a thing of value, if that is in fact what you would call information like this, but ran it through the intelligence community and got the FBI to try and legally take down the Trump administration with their oppo. How is that not a thing of value from these are Russian government officials that were the subsources for the Steele dossier, folks? Russian government officials. They, they didn't walk around, uh, you know, a, a village in uh, you know out, outside of Vladivostok and say, "Hey, anybody got any dirt on Trump?" They went to gov- obviously Christopher Steele is going to go to Russian government officials, which is what he did, and probably Russian government intelligence officials. And said, hey, what have you got for me on Trump? Why, why is that okay? I, I still, I never get to hear an explanation of this. 
I've never heard anyone explain this. Oh, but it's not really, uh, uh, you know, they hired it. and oh, just, They just get all huffy, but they never have an answer. I never get told what. And there's so many different areas of this whole thing where you just don't ever get an answer. I mean, I look at people now. I've tried to tell Democrats that I think are, are somewhat reasonable, though there's very few of those these days, especially on this Russia collusion stuff. And I say, you really think that, that three FISA warrants on Carter Page? was legit does, does anyone ever you know all these serious journals on cnn and msnbc you know gurgling gurgling oh, carter page is a russian spy bro. Does, does anyone ever try to defend how i mean that's so stupid he was never even not only was he never charged with a crime my friends they never knew theoretically what crime he may have been committing other than the crime of talking to russians which the FBI knew he was doing for years before that, and in fact, he had helped the FBI. If the new standard for we can open a FISA case on you is you talk to foreigners sometimes and travel to foreign countries, then any person in the United States can have their Fourth Amendment rights just stripped from them the moment that there's a political incentive to do so. I talk to foreign here. I I've talked to. Uh, I talk to foreigners all the time. I do foreign travel. I have foreign friends. Oh, man, I know people not just in the U.S., but intelligence community all over the world. So, you know, I've got intelligence contacts. So I guess if I were going to work for a campaign, the FBI could just open up three FISA warrants on me. But based on what we've seen here, that's that's totally what goes on. So, I mean, Gergen's point about things are right discussions we don't even talk about here on CNN yeah, n- no, no, duh. I was going to say something else, but no, duh. It's on radio, so that's the best I can do right now. They don't even know what the arguments that the right makes are anymore. There's no representation. When was the last time you saw a real debate? And I don't mean some of my favorites like, you know, my, my, my buddy Dan Bongino. Watching him crush libs is fun. I mean, you know, there's, there's other guys out there that some libs. But I mean two people who are somewhat intellectually evenly matched on the issue of the dossier. Do you ever see this debated by two people who know the facts? Never. This has become a completely polarized, separate, uh, you know, because I'm sure that there, there are plenty of conservatives. I called out... Uh, the guy publicly who's the author of Proof of Collusion, I forget his name, he's some professor from like the University of, of Weed Smoking and uh, somewhere in, in, the, in New England. And he, you know, I, I said, why don't we debate this? I said, Dave Rubin will host and we can actually debate this issue. Oh, I would never, anybody who thinks that there's not proof of collusion. This was the guy who wrote to me. Anyone who thinks that's not worth talking to. Okay, well, here we are two years in and with more information, the the trend here is a very important thing to keep in mind. With more information, their side looks worse all the time. For the last 12 months, that's been the case. The more we learn, the more obvious it is that they have no interest in getting to the truth and that they've been lying about what happened in this investigation all along. It really, it really is stunning. Uh, I'm... You know, and today, the day after this whole thing, the the clinging to the narrative that you've seen is just astonishing. It really is. It's just amazing. But they won't. They will not give it up. They will not change their uh, their view on this thing at all. I just want to. You know, we got Sean Davis joining us later. He had a 
a great uh, tweet storm today. It's one of the reasons why I want to have Sean on the show, just to get his take on things. You know, Sean's over at the Federalist. He had a great tweet storm. Just about how much we've been lied to and all the stuff that's going on here. Here's what Sean wrote. Quote, we were told Trump's inquisitor was a calm, even-handed Republican with impeccable credentials who was trusted by everyone. What we learned yesterday was that the Inquisition was run by the Democrat lawyer for Hillary Clinton's aide, who destroyed evidence with a hammer. We were told that the evidence of alleged Russian collusion was rock solid, the work of America's top intelligence agencies. In reality, it was pure fiction cooked up by a Clinton-funded foreign contractor on the payroll of a sanctioned Russian oligarch. We were told the Trump campaign was never spied on or wiretapped by U.S. spy agencies. We now know the campaign was indeed wiretapped, that honeypots were deployed to entrap campaign uh, affiliates, that overseas intel assets were used to set up meetings as pretext for more spying. We were told our nation's intel agencies would never use false information to justify secret surveillance of American citizens. In reality, uh, the FBI peddled lies to the FISA court that were cooked up by a foreign spy and a DOJ official's wife, both funded by Clinton. We were told that our government's top secret keepers would never leak classified or confidential information to the media. What actually happened is that top intel officials repeatedly leaked, often illegally, to cement a false narrative to support further spying on U.S. citizens. Finally, we were told that America's top cops and spies would never foment a coup to overturn election results they didn't like. We now know the most powerful unelected people in government cooked up lies as part of an orchestrated scheme to overthrow the duly elected president. Those are just some of the points. That was all from Sean. He'll be joining us later in the show. Uh, Those are just some of the points, though, that you will never hear represented on CNN from anyone. No one ever gets to make the case there or on MSNBC. That's why Gergen's like, things we don't even talk about here. Yeah, exactly. Because that audience would start to melt if they were presented with the facts. While we are doing this, while we are sitting here, as I pointed out before, for the hour we're going to be debating this, another $100 million of debt has been racked up. Another how many thousands of people have poured across our border? How much more control have we yielded to cartels who truly control and run our border? All the agencies that are helping us are doing detention security, hospital watch, sandwich making, handing out hygienic items and milk and transportation. We're building new detention facilities at the border. They're not patrolling the border. We're not doing anything to stop and deal with the problems that we've got with cartels managing the border. And we're sitting here in a fishing expedition for emails alleging that we're trying to do that in compliance with the law that's being complied with. In what universe is this what we're supposed to be doing for the United States of America, for the people of this country, who are watching their country racking up mountains of debt? $320 billion over existing spending levels, which would still give us a trillion dollar deficit. Well done, Congress. Well done. And you're going to have that kind of level of spending while we've got wide open borders. What are we doing for the people of the United States? Congressman Roy's got a point, doesn't he? He's actually got a bunch of points. Our immigration system is supposed to be run for the benefit of the people who are already here. Our immigration system is not an open-ended charity. It is not a soup kitchen with endless soup, courtesy of you, the taxpayer, and to the political benefit of the Democratic Party. That is not what the immigration system is supposed to be. But Democrats have conflated illegal and legal immigration intentionally. They have lied about this at every stage. They've lied about the uh, crisis at the border over and over again. 
There was no caravan. The caravans won't get there. Uh, This isn't a systematic violation of the law. They'll show up in court. Okay, well, even if they don't show up in court, we shouldn't deport them. Uh, And and now it's all about the focusing on the conditions at the border. And this is a messaging loss for the Republicans. Every time that we're talking about whether or not we're doing enough for the, the, the children of the border, the Democrats are getting their way. Because then that becomes the focus instead of we are in the midst of an illegal alien invasion of the United States. That's what's happening. It is intentional. Hundreds of thousands of people. That's a lot of people. In addition, by the way, to the million legal immigrants that we bring in each year, which I will note is a lot. And a country should be able to have a conversation about going forward. Maybe it should be a half a million. Maybe we should have a merit base instead of a chain or you know family based. They always say family reunification. Now they're changing the terminology. It used to be chain migration, uh, but instead of a family based system, it should be a skills based system. These are the conversations we should be having in immigration. But instead, it's always oh look at what's going on at the border. Oh Democrats, the ones who care so much, they're the ones who care about. The children of the border, the big mean Republicans, they don't care at all. AOC continues to get away with saying stupid, nasty, defamatory things about Border Patrol. About This is the woman who compared them to concentration camps and and still is treated with, with seriousness by her fellow Democrats. They think that she's somebody who we should listen to, which tells you really all you need to know about the Democratic Party right now. Here's, a, here's AOC. I know. You haven't heard from her in a while. You probably were enjoying that. But here's what she has to say about what's going on along the southern border. Because right now what the administration is doing is that they are using the for-profit suffering of children as a bargaining chip so that they can continue to slip in more negative provisions that will ultimately cause more pain. And how do you respond to uh, Republicans who are talking about physical barriers being part of any uh, package that deals with the actual crisis in terms of the traffic coming across if they want to do that that's fine have them negotiate in appropriations have them make their case but they should not be using a humanitarian crisis as a bargaining chip to make sure that they pursue their little torture project a torture project she says I've got to tell you, if I were a member of Border Patrol who had been working overtime in all senses and trying to do everything possible to get food, clothing, shelter, medical care for the migrants coming to the border, completely overwhelmed. The migrants know what they're doing is wrong. They know they're lying. They've been told. They've been scripted with the words they're supposed to say. Uh, The whole thing is a scam. But Border Patrol is doing their best to make sure that everyone's safe and okay and they're being processed. And AOC is running around saying that they're running torture chambers. Torture chambers. Or torture project. I mean, this is why when the Democrat media says that their job is to speak truth to power, why doesn't someone, why doesn't somebody challenge her on this? Does she really think it's the, it's the process, it's the intent of those uh, at the southern border who are working for the federal government that they're going to they're torturing children. That's that's a horrible thing to say. An utterly horrifying thing for them to say. Uh, for her to say. And she continues to get away with this. I, you know, one more note. I, I 
I think immigration is the most important issue in the country right now. The economy is doing pretty well, but immigration is going terribly. Okay, this is Trump is failing on immigration, but it's not his fault. So that's, you know, if the buck stops with him, it's terrible. But when I look at the when I look at the buck, this is starting to sound weird. But when I look at what's going on, you just had another case, another instance of a judge, uh, a federal judge who has decided that he is going to overrule the executive branch of the government and say that, sorry, you, you can't make enforcement decisions about immigration. You can't have new regulations via executive uh, executive authority or prosecutorial discretion about about asylum. Now, what's interesting is that you already had a district uh, judge in D.C. look at this. Remember, the, the Trump administration's new rule was going to be that you have to apply for asylum in the first country you get to, which would mean for all these Central American migrants, Mexico. The fact that Beto O'Rourke says it's inhumane to tell people from Guatemala that they need to wait in Mexico. I didn't realize that Mexico was a torture chamber. It's actually a pretty well-off country with a lot of nice stuff going on and good food. And I did have its highest murder rate ever the last six months, but there's still over 100 million people live there, okay? It's not, it's not a war zone. Plenty of people are fine. I was just there last week. Uh, but the new Trump administration rule is going to be you have to apply for asylum in the first country you get to. Instead of effectively uh, jurisdiction or, or, or country nationality shopping as an asylee. And now you got a federal judge. One federal judge looked at it in D.C. and said, no, the, administ- the Trump administration can do this. So guess what happened? Another federal judge in California, an Obama appointee, has shut this thing down. Universal nationwide injunction. So the Trump administration comes up with a way to stop the crisis. They, this would really make a huge difference. And then what happens? A federal judge comes along and says, sorry, you're not allowed to stop this crisis. So who are we really to blame? And how much accountability can I really put on the shoulders of, of Trump and his team when federal judges who are Obama appointees, who are leftist activists that the bench was stacked with over the eight years of Obama? I mean, fortunately, Mitch McConnell's starting to balance that out with more and more conservative constitutionalist judges getting on the federal bench. But if a federal judge is going to stop Trump from doing anything about the border every time he does anything, isn't it convenient, folks, that every time the administration does anything to enforce our laws and to get a more secure border, the response is some Obama-appointed federal judge says you can't do that. So the border's a disaster right now. Who's to blame? It's happening on Trump's watch. But is it Trump's fault that the federal judges appointed by Obama think that they're president? I don't know. Each passing week brings another proof point that climate change is happening right now, reshaping our planet for the worse, moving so quickly that at some point we will not be able to recover no matter what we do. And the world will be so much worse for our children and grandchildren. Carbon levels in the atmosphere are at the highest point ever in human history. Just days ago, NBC reported this will be the hottest July on record. Last month, June, was the hottest June on record. We all know the consequences are going to be devastating, just devastating to our planet. It's summertime, Chucky. It gets warm in the summer. Everyone listening to this knows that. 
Even the little kids, the toddlers that listen to Buck Sexton Show, Buck Sexton Show Toddler Squad. Ha! What's up? Uh, there's probably a few of them that are listening while mom and dad are making dinner or something. Uh, you know, they all know. Everyone knows. It's summertime. It's hot. How, how do we take these people seriously? Oh, my gosh. There are a few ways to be more intellectually lazy and to engage in more base demagoguery than to just be a climate change catastrophist. I mean, catastrophists in general uh, tend to be people that really just want attention and power and don't care about the consequences of what what it is that they're saying. Um, And it's just an easy way to get attention. It's an easy, relatively lazy way to get people listening. Oh, the world's going to end tomorrow. You know, it reminds me very much of the the uh, Parks and Recreation show, the group called the Reasonableists, who I've brought up before, the Reasonableists named themselves that because how can you be, how can you think the Reasonableists are crazy? Uh, and, and their thing is every year they have it, and, and the world's going to end every year, and then they're wrong every year. But then they realize that, oh, it's going to end next year, and people <laughs> keep showing up for their end-of-the-world party. And, you know, this is, Chuck Schumer is throwing an end-of-the-world party. As long as you give him power and donations and attention... And we know that there'll be no accountability for him being wrong. I, I, I just want to sit down and look at people in the eyes who think that they have a, a grasp of what is really happening in, in the world and have them tell me that despite decades of being just wrong on this and always having to always having to redo the data, always having to go back and look at this again, despite decades of being wrong, uh, now they've got it nailed to the point where if they if we don't make dramatic changes, dramatic changes in the way that uh, we live our lives and essentially put the Democrats in charge of more of our lives, the left, the statist authoritarian left in charge of more than ever before. If we're not willing to do that, the world is going to end. It sounds so stupid when I even say it. But this is a, an article of faith. They believe this. They think it's true. They think this is, or at least they convince other imbeciles that it's true. And they're they're manipulating them. They're they're abusing them. I mean, Mark, can't they just accept that it's hot because it's summertime? We really have to go. This is the same idiocy we get when there's a big a big snowstorm in the winter. They go, oh, climate change is causing the the wets are wetter and the hots are hotter and the colds are colder and. No, folks, you know, this is not this is not happening. And there is, believe it or not, there's no constituent. There's there's nobody out there who's saying, hey, I just want big oil to send me a check. And I don't care if that means that the world ends for my kid. That, that doesn't exist. I, I it's such a it's such a mass hysteria that we're in the middle of with this and that this has become attached to science but keep on the the scientific community has been thoroughly corrupted i mean i would say that uh, environmental science and biology are now getting pretty close to where the humanities are which is just overrun with left-wing groupthink they they've tried to appropriate they've tried to take over uh, and they really have taken over uh, climate science environmental science and think about the incentive structure and it's not hard uh to find people in the climate in, in the climatology community 
who are going to stand up and say climate change is really important because one, that means they're really important. Uh, you know, what do you want to be? Do you want to be the guy who's like, I look at weather patterns and try to determine how it'll affect crop yields? Going, or you're the guy who's like, I am here to save the planet from the warming that will be catastrophic and destroy us all. And I'm a scientist and you must listen to me because I'm going to save us all. Uh, I think most people would opt for door number two there. And then when you add into that. The money that's attached. I mean, if you want a grant right now, do you want to tell corporate? Because there's a shakedown of major corporations with this too. They have to they have to donate to these. Uh, they'll donate to these different nonprofits that are doing climate research and all these uh, different science uh, science affiliations at universities. They'll they'll get you know money from the government to do more climate research. So you can either be really important and have a lot of money and say the world is going to end and only you can come up with a way to stop it. Or you can be a glorified weatherman. And in fact, weathermen are much more useful. I feel like I'm actually unnecessarily or unfairly disparaging weathermen and women. Because what they do, they're usually right and they provide a useful service. (laughs) Climatologists do not. They do not provide a useful service. Uh, They have just become this echo chamber of of lunacy. And you even hear it now from, from Democrats... In the Senate, in a way, and in the House, I mean, Ocasio-Cortez said 12 years, really not 13 years, 12 years until we can't turn it around. I remember seeing, uh, I was going to say, uh, what is it, not Fahrenheit 9-11, the, uh, an inconvenient truth. Al Gore was saying that by, the, by now it would already be irreversible. Until you get China and India on board, all this is nonsense. Until you get the major other developing massive industrial countries to take huge steps that would be wildly trillions and trillions of dollars of wealth just evaporating because of this craziness. You think any of them are going to do that? And they think, the libs think that you and I are the crazy ones. We're the ones that just don't get it. We're the ones that won't obey the science on this one. I just look at them and think, how is it, how is it possible to have been so swindled, so bamboozled, brainwashed so that you will really believe that unless we they don't even have a plan they get all upset and hysterical when you point this out okay what are we really going to do aoc's green new deal is stupidity the cow farts and rebuilding all the buildings thing wasn't an accident that's what you'd have to do if you were really going to stop enough co2 from going into the air to turn this thing around as they think so what is the pl- if that's not really the plan, but we have to have a plan, what is the plan? They don't even know. All they know is they want the power to do absolutely anything under the rubric of, de- of defeating climate change. And that's what ultimately this is about. It's about control. It's definitely not about saving the planet. Bunch of loons. Bob Mueller was trying to defend the indefensible. That report was incoherent as written, and it was worse as played out on live TV. No, Nancy Pelosi was trying to put uh, on a happy face yesterday with the press conference, but it was surprising to me that even members of the Democratic Party were last night recognizing that this was, as one commentator called it, a train wreck. These charges, as has been demonstrated today in the hearings, uh, are, uh, could be indictable offenses by anybody else, not the President of the United States and the President when he's no longer President. But the American people 
I, I think that if we go to down that path, we should go in the strongest possible way. And that's all I'm going to say about the subject. Impeach or not? Question the Democrats have somehow not come to a conclusion uh, about yet. There's still there's the possibility there may be. Well, who knows? Let's, let's bring in our friend Sean Davis, who has been spitting fire on Twitter in the last 24 hours. Some fantastic stuff from our friend Sean. He is co-founder of The Federalist, thefederalist.com, one of my favorite websites out there. Uh, Mr. Davis, good to have you on, sir. Good to be on. Thank you for having me. Uh, I, I got to say, after the huge debacle yesterday, I had thought that maybe there would be a little more just keep the heads down from the Democrats and wait to start calling Trump a racist again. But I'm seeing the Pelosi's and some others that are are saying, do you think they're really keeping impeachment open as an option in their minds? Or are they just saying that because to say impeachment is closed is an admission that the debacle yesterday has ended that? Oh, I th- actually think it's a little bit of both. I-, I think they have worked themselves into a corner. Um having worked their their base into this uh, fever that there's you know, a good segment of the party that they can't let down. They can't just say no more impeachment. So I feel like they have to keep that option alive just for their own political survival. Um, but I think they also understand, at least the smarter heads in the party like Pelosi, that impeachment was going to be a disaster for them and it was going to be a guarantee for Trump's reelection. And they understand that the sooner they can uh, take this train into the station and get everyone off, Uh, the better for their own party. So they've got a real problem here because they're stuck between their base and a hard place. Yeah, I I feel like yesterday in a sane world should have been, uh, ironically, uh, helpful to the Democrats because it was so clear that Mueller was a figurehead, that this was really, it was really all a con, right? I mean, the, the whole purpose of Mueller being assigned was so that we couldn't criticize him. He was Saint Mueller. He was going to save America from the scourge of Trump. Turns out that just a bunch of, of very clearly partisan Democrats were given effectively an unlimited budget and mandate to just destroy Trump and everybody in his orbit, do everything they could, anything they wanted to, and they couldn't even pull it off. Uh, but you would think that in, in a normal world, Democrats would say, Okay, so I guess we're not going to do impeachment, and that would be to their benefit. It sounds to me like they're still thinking maybe. Oh, they're they're still playing footsie with it, and that's because for them, I don't think impeachment was ever actually about the facts. For them, impeachment was about getting the orange bad man, and he, he will always be the orange bad man, no matter what happens with collusion or obstruction, and they have always wanted to get rid of him because he committed the unforgivable crime of beating Hillary in 2016. So it shouldn't really be all that surprising that the total collapse of Mueller and his investigation and the whole collusion thing didn't really uh, sate their desire for blood. All they care about is getting rid of Trump. And if they have to use Mueller to do it, great. And if they don't have to use him to do it, great. He was just a bit player in a much larger uh, passion play against Trump for the Democrats. What do you think their next moves are? I mean, is this thing... Uh, I, they, they don't have anything left really on collusion unless they go the impeachment political route. I mean, it seems like they've exhausted. I, I go, oh, do, you, do you see something else? I mean, you were you were an investigator up on Capitol Hill. You know how this stuff goes. Do you think the Democrats have another another hand to play here or are they just going to have to batten down the hatches for this IG report when it comes out in allegedly September? Oh, no, they, they have all kinds of options. Um, and again, they, their whole goal has been to paralyze and get rid of Trump. 
in the Mueller investigation and the whole collusion nonsense was just a means to do that. But remember, they control the House. They have subpoena power. So now they're going to use what uh, Pelosi euphemistically called uh, accountability investigations. They're going to try and paralyze the White House by investigating every single little thing they do, whether it's subpoenaing the White House or every agency or leaking stuff about different cabinet secretaries. Their war is going to continue. Um, So, no, I, I think impeachment proceedings may be off the table because of how poorly Mueller's testimony went. But their inquisition against Trump... Uh, they've got a, you know another 18 months they have to run that thing till they get to, to uh, 2020 so they're not going to stop what should trump do in response to all this what how should, if you were advising this white house in this fight what would you tell them that's a good question uh the first thing is you have to uh you have to clear the air on all the spygate stuff um uh, Barr needs to finish his investigation and make all of it public durham needs to announce indictments because somebody's got to go to, to prison for what went on there. The IG needs to finish up. The documents need to be classified. Um, but I also think Trump needs to just focus on the stuff he ran on and, and the reason people voted for him, which was securing the border, uh, securing the economy, making sure trade deals make sense, um, making sure people are able to keep uh, more of their money instead of it going to the government and, and trying to fix the healthcare system. I think that's what people actually care about. The, the Russia spygate stuff is interesting to us. But it's not the kind of thing that affects your everyday life. And it's those everyday life issues uh, that affect, you know, how much money you have to spend on a mortgage or school. That's what people vote on. And that's what Republicans and the president should be focusing on. Is there any mechanism that the White House could use to try to get some of this stuff going in the opposite direction? It just feels like our side, it feels like the White House, feels like the Republican Party is always playing defense. There's only defense. I mean, except for Trump's Twitter and and his public statements. But I mean, in terms of the the mechanisms of the bureaucracy, is there a fight fire with fire option here? Oh, I mean, that's um, yeah, that's a more of an existential question. It, It makes our lives as conservatives a lot more difficult when we're constantly going to war against a bureaucracy that's run by liberals, a media that's run by liberals, uh, educational establishments that are run by liberals. We pretty much are always going to be reactive rather than proactive just because of how uh, the power balance in these institutions are. But I think Trump can do a lot to turn the tables. Uh, And in this Mueller stuff is a good example. They never expected a president to do what he did. Comey never expected that he would get fired for trying to blackmail and extort the president. Um, you know, Mueller never thought this guy would actually say, no, I'm not going to meet with you. I'm not playing your little perjury trap game. They certainly never in a million years thought that Barr would come in uh, and get a declassification authorization from the president and then appoint his own prosecutor to go after the investigators. So Trump has a lot of ways where he can seize the initiative and force the other side to play on his terms rather than doing what we regularly have to do, which is play on their terms. Do you have uh, faith in, I mean, I've, I've been saying all along that I think that Barr... I mean, my two favorite in terms of their competency, it's not like a personal favorite, but my two uh, on, on the level of competency, uh, competency favorites in the administration are Barr and Pompeo. I think Barr has shown himself to be both unflappable and really on his game and knows and knows what time it is, so to speak. Uh, this guy from Connecticut that they've assigned, I mean, what's your sense of whether this IG report is going to actually get the goods? Because the last IG report seemed to be nothing but political bias, and then somehow the IG comes out with a conclusion that's, well, there's no actual political bias here. Yeah, so we got to separate two things. There's the Durham-Barr investigation. Durham's the prosecutor from Connecticut. And then there's the, the IG report. Um, I expect the IG report to be a total dud. 
the IG does not exist to root out corruption within agencies. It exists to investigate things and then tell the world, don't worry, it was just one or two people here doing some isolated bad things, but the agency as a whole is safe and protected, and don't you worry, I got it locked down. And that's exactly what we're going to see when he comes out uh, with his report on the FISA stuff. As far as Durham and Barr are concerned, uh, Durham is the real deal. This was the guy who rooted out corruption uh, as a U.S. attorney at the FBI when it turns out the FBI was framing innocent people for murders con- uh, committed by FBI informants. And in fact, it was Mueller's own FBI that was hiding evidence from the courts during that. And it was something, I think back in 2002 or 2003, that was so heinous, um, several of the men who were in prison for life uh, were freed and granted something like a 100 or $200 million settlement for the wrongful convictions based on falsification and lies uh, by FBI agents. So Durham went up against the mob, and he went up against the FBI, uh, and he came out clean. So I think just character-wise and experience-wise, he, he's the perfect person to be doing this current job of rooting out the corruption uh, related to Spygate. Before we let you go, Sean, just wondering, watching that thing happen yesterday on, on Capitol, watching finally Mueller have to stand up and, and present the truth in some sense, right, the truth of who he is and his role in this investigation, were, were, were you, I, I got to say, I didn't really see it coming. <laughs> I was a little, I was taken aback by how uh, utterly unconvincing and and then in a sense how much uh, it felt like a fraud had been exposed after two years, the fraud of the investigation, which is that this guy was a figurehead and that was never, it was never this honest, bipartisan, good faith investigation at all. You're exactly right. I, I We got a little glimpse of it at his bizarre May 29th press conference, and, and I remarked in an article at the time that he looked more like a doddering octogenarian senator out to lunch than he did this commanding uh, former FBI figure. And, and I wondered, coming into this testimony yesterday, maybe he was just having a bad day and we were going to see the Bob Mueller of old uh, show up and really put on a tour de force performance. I was shocked at how feeble he was, how little command he had over even the simplest of details. And it it was shocking. Um, I think that's why you saw the response you did from pretty much everyone left and right. And it showed that his name was used and abused by a bunch of people who just wanted the veneer of his credibility to be wrapped around the witch hunt that they had planned to do from the very beginning. Sean Davis, everybody, co-founder of The Federalist. Read his latest at thefederalist.com. You can also uh, follow Sean on Twitter if you want to see how you can get after the libs on Twitter. Uh, S-E-A-N-M-D-A-V. Sean Davis. Thanks so much, Sean. Appreciate having you on, buddy. It's always fun. Thank you, Buck. All right, we'll hit it in a sec, team. We'll be right back. The Mueller report was not written by Bob Mueller and that a lot of the findings and conclusions that were in there were written by a bunch of lawyers that didn't like Donald Trump, that had supported and in some cases represented Hillary Clinton. So I think that that was a fact that came out. The other big winner, if you will, is uh, Attorney General Bill Barr, because if Bob Mueller didn't answer those questions, Bill Barr needs to. People need to know the answers to the questions. That's uh, Congressman Ratcliffe giving his assessment, his his after action report on what happened yesterday on Capitol Hill with that testimony by Bob Mueller. I I wanted to hear from the man himself, Andy McCarthy, on this. So we got him in the mix today. Andy is, of course, formerly of the Southern District of New York, who is a federal prosecutor. Now he's with National Review, where he is a senior editor, author of a whole bunch of books, Fox News contributor. Andy, great to have you back. Buck, great to be with you. All right, I, I just I want your your top line. I mean, you know, you're you you finished watching that whole thing yesterday, 
and the first thoughts that are coming out, or you know, first thoughts in your mind, first words out of your mouth, are what? There's no way that Bob Mueller either ran this investigation or had anything to do with the report. Um, I, you know, I just think he was. I had always thought, Buck, that he was uh, staff-driven just because I thought that we could recognize those of us who have watched some of these guys over the years, some of the legal theories and investigative tactics that were used are uh, sort of notoriously linked with some of the people on uh, Mueller's staff. So it was clear to me that he was given his staff free reign. Uh, But, you know, I kind of poo-pooed what a number of people in the Trump camp told me about, you know, that Mueller had kind of lost his fastball. I figured, you know, you're getting spun a little bit, which is kind of what happens. But it sure looked to me like that was true yesterday. Yeah. How, I mean, you, Andy, you worked in the prosecutorial arm of the federal government. I feel like uh, the American people must have, those who were approaching this, not even necessarily completely fair-minded, but just being objective at what they saw, it's hard to come away from this and not feel like this was, there's a dishonesty in attaching a, you know, a, a, a high-profile individual like Mueller. I mean, it was called the Mueller Report. We've been referring to this all along, and, you know, his credibility was used to sell this. You know, it, it's it's like uh, I, I signed... You know, I signed a star pitcher for my baseball team, and it turns out that when I show up, you know, to, to watch from the stands, it's actually like a bunch of AAA guys. I'm like, what happened here? I mean, it's just, it, it just felt like it was not what was advertised at all in a way that was fraudulent. Yeah, and, and, it's, and the consequences of that, Buck, which I completely I agree with your point, but the consequences of it are even um, deeper, I think, in this sense, um, you know, a lot of us have complained from the beginning that Mueller was tin-eared in assembling his staff, to, to put it mildly, and he had a lot of activist Democrats uh, on a staff that in an investigation that was fraught with politics. And the comeback to that always was, well, but you don't have to worry about that because the rock-ribbed Republican Bob Mueller is the guy who's at the helm uh, and he's not an activist Democrat, so what are you all worrying about? And, of course, you know, it turns out that he hasn't really been at the helm at all, except in uh, in name only. Uh, so, you know, number one, um, he, he really was not running the show. It was these activist Democrats who were doing that. And secondly, Buck, you know, you're not supposed to have a special counsel unless the Justice Department is so conflicted that it's necessary to bring somebody in from the outside to run the investigation. Well, Mueller was the guy from the outside, and who did he recruit? Not just activist Democrats, but activist Democrats who had high-ranking positions in the Justice Department, whose conflict was the reason we supposedly had to have a special counsel in the first place. Andy McCarthy, everybody, check out his latest at nationalreview.com. And, you know, Andy, to me, has been such a, a fascinating component of this whole saga because you know those of you who listen to this show and have for a long time know that andy was very fair-minded in the early stages of the investigation he said okay we got a special counsel we got to look into this see what they do and he is now right along i mean i read all of his stuff and and i obviously have him on the show on a regular basis we're right alongside each other in terms of what a an outrage we think this is and how ridiculous we think this is. So, 
it's just it's frustrating because I, I really don't think there'll be any justice here. The only accountability that will really matter is making Democrats stew in four more years of Trump as president. I mean, just that's the if you want to feel like all has been set right in the world or at least there has been some payback for what has been done that is wrong. Trump for four more years as president will melt lib minds. And that will mean that all this stuff that they've done, all these uh, deep state witch hunt nonsense efforts, it was all for naught. They were unable to achieve what they sought out to do, what they were so willing to debase themselves to do, uh, which was to find anything, anything that they could to destroy orange man bad trump that's what this wall was so if they fail in that objective because he wins four more years as president that's the only way to repudiate all the underhanded disgusting tactics that they've engaged in and so that for me at least raises the stakes a bit for the next election it's not just about trump and all the policies it's also about justice dare i say I'm not going to answer that. I'm not going to engage in discussion about what happened after the uh, production of our uh, report. That's not in my purview. I am not going to get into that. I don't want to speculate. I don't necessarily credit uh, what you're saying was outside our purview. And I'm not going to answer that question, sir. I do not accept your characterization of what occurred. And I am not familiar with that. Don't know when I found that out. Yeah, I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to pass on that. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm curious as to why. Well, I can't get into it. Did he lie to you guys, too? Can't get into that. Did you interview Mifsud? Can't get into that. Is Mifsud Western intelligence can't or Russian intelligence? Can't get into that. A lot of things you can't get into. That's for sure. I want to. I want to start pulling the. It's outside my purview. Whatever. <laughs> That's now a thing. Whenever somebody asks me a question, I don't want to answer. But just say, ah, it's outside my purview. Hey, Buck, did you uh, did you take out the trash and clean the dishes? Ah, it's outside my purview. Yeah. Did you uh, did you do the work last night that you're supposed to in preparation for today? Ah, that's outside my purview. That's that's gonna be a fun one. Uh, just just a note here because I am in in uh, New York City. You've got a De Blasio bike lane project. I mean, I, I think De Blasio might be the dumbest mayor in the United States in any city with over a hundred thousand people. Uh, or maybe just in any city. I do think that he may he may be the, the least competent mayor uh, and the, I shouldn't say the dumbest, the most incompetent is really the, the way. I, I, I think that the city would function better. This is, this is really true. The city would function more efficiently if, in fact, you did not have de Blasio and there was no mayor. Like, it would be a better thing for the largest city in this country if de Blasio wasn't even making any decisions whatsoever, but you, you have this big uh, $58 million bike safety plan that's going to be coming out. Mark, do you ever bike? Are you a bike guy? I don't feel like getting murdered. You know, they have had 17 people die this year on bicycles alone in, in New York City, and I, I think, look, Libs are obsessed with creating bike lanes in very, very crowded cities. Uh, They're obsessed with it. Um, And I think it's because of their climate change mania. Uh, They view this as 
the way that, you know, Europeans live their very stately and, and ordered lives. And there, there's a lot that when you add it all together, you look at it and say, okay, I, I understand why the libs like when people are cycling places because your, your CO2 emissions from cycling are, are pretty minimal. Um, but all I can tell you is that a lot of people I come across who are in major urban areas on bicycles, at least a lot of the ones that I remember, are just nuts. I mean, they're going... 25 miles an hour on those things. They're going the wrong way up and down the street. There was a character created for the show Portlandia who is a, a militant bicyclist who's always yelling, you know, on your left, on your left, you know. And, and if, if you've dealt with some of this stuff too, the people that think that they can just go any way they want in traffic on the bicycle as fast as they want to go and all they have to do is in the last two seconds before they run over some granny – Yell, you know, on your right, and that's enough. The worst is cars versus bicycles because I live in Long Beach, New York, and they don't observe stop signs. They go the wrong way on the streets. They just act like there are no cars. Yeah, that's and what there's I mean. no bike lane, so it's not like they should be riding in the street and getting in my way. Now I, I know that they are. Some of you think they're nerdy, probably a lot of you, but those electric scooters are. Far safer. People are in much better control. They're much more comfortable because you can just step on and then take off. You don't have to. You're not exercising, so it's not like going to help your heart or anything. But that means you also don't show up to a work meeting because if you're a man wearing a suit on a bicycle, that just can't be fun. I see these guys who do this. They're in a business suit and they're on their bike here in New York City. I, I just don't see how that. You know, don't you have to also do the thing where you take your pant leg and you roll it up so it doesn't get caught in the gears? I right? think so, yeah. Yeah. It just doesn't make and sense. wouldn't you smell when you get to work? Yeah, of course. So you think it'd be some smelly commie and you're saving the earth by not taking a, a car or the subway or a bus? Sorry, I'm not I'm not into it. I mean, $60 million on a, on a safety program that is going to be dubious at best. But then again, de Blasio's wife, I think, spent $800 million on a health, a mental health initiative that nobody can point to anything that has been done of benefit I mean, it takes some, it's real special to spend $800 million on nothing or, or, or to spend $800 million and have nothing to show for it. That's, that's almost a skill in and of itself. I, I, I don't know how anyone could do that, but that's what's going on in the city. And de Blasio is still running for president. It's the craziest part. We got the, the Democrat debates next week. Uh, we got two nights of debates. What is it, Wednesday, Thursday? Is that right, Mark? No, it's Tuesday, Wednesday. I mean, none of these Democrats seem like serious people to me. It's it's really so far an absolute clown show. But maybe one of them will break out and decide. I, I think the first Democrat that starts to look like he or she is in some command of reality will be able to break out of this pack. But those that are raising their hands for things like health, you know, Medicare, Medicare not just Medicare for all, Medicare for all for illegal aliens. There's just no way that there's no way they can win doing the holding the positions that they hold. And I'm sure they're going to bring up that it was 108 degrees in Paris today. And, you know, climate, they love to talk about climate change. It's it's been 108 degrees in Europe before, folks. This is none, none of this stuff is really new. I just wish that there was some. I don't know that there's not even a, a way to have a conversation with these people anymore. But yeah, the cyclists in particular are, you know, you get a lot of a 
lot of Sandernistas in the cycling community. In the urban, I'm not talking about the, those of you that ride your bicycle on the weekend or in your hometown, or that's not, I mean the people that want to go into the biggest cities in the country and they only want to ride their bikes and they want to do whatever they want on them. And it just makes, it's such a hazard, man. I've almost been clipped several times by, and they're always going the wrong way down the street. Cause that's, I'm a New Yorker, right? I'm always looking and looking, but you know, it's a one way street. There's no car coming. And you know, there's double park cars though. Sometimes you, you, I'm telling you, it's a dangerous world out there, Mark. Keep your head on a swivel. Roll calls up next. Ain't no party like a team buck party. Cause a team buck party don't stop. Yeah, we got Buck turned up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. They did a re... I guess it's called a reskin of Twitter. You know, it's a, a, re, a rebrand of Twitter. I, I don't know what you necessarily uh, call it but they they do a it looks different now and i don't like it i like the old version i haven't seen the very, new desktop version yet very few of you uh yeah the desktop version stinks the phone's the same yeah well, that's good news at least the same on the phone same on the phone all right uh here we go roll call facebook.com slash buck sexton that's how you send me your thoughts send me your messages let's get to it brad Hey, Buck, on Tuesday's podcast, you talked about the left and how they'd like to get Al Franken back in office and even possibly uh, even possibly run against Trump. I thought I was going to wreck my car laughing when you said it. You think watching Biden versus Trump is a train wreck? Watching what Trump would do to Al Franken during an election would be too enjoyable. I'm still trying to figure out how the Dems went so crazy so fast. They seem completely clueless about the American people and our values. Thanks for all you do. Shields high. Well, Brad, thank you so much, my friend. Uh, I do appreciate it. So, uh, yes, indeed. Um, that's. I think you're probably right that Trump would defeat Franken rather easily, but it's not an experiment where we're going to get to really play out. So uh, it's it's just theorizing right now. Van, hey, Buck, I don't usually listen to Rush, but I was listening to him today while driving, and I heard a Buck Sexton Noble Gold commercial. I was much much more excited to hear the commercial than the show. Keep on breaking through. Shields high. All right, Van. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate that. Yes, Noble Gold's a great sponsor, great company, and uh, it's nice to have my voice get to a few different places like that. Uh, let's see here. John writes, Hey, Buck, no one's cutting mustard. The correct phrase is cut the muster. Really? Think of 18th century conscripts being mustered into formation. If one was physically unable to muster, then that individual could not cut the muster. I've been listening ever since you're interviewed on Glenn's show. You should work with YouTube history channels like Kings and Generals to produce more history shows. Well, thank you so much, John. I mean, I do love doing the history shows and... You know, I'm probably going to move to like a, a tropical island at some point and just just do history podcasts and like write, you know, books and that that, that may be where life is heading. Wow. Is cut the mustard. Wait, hold on a second. Where does the phrase cut the mustard come from? This is what I just looked up on dictionary.com. 
to cut the mustard is to reach or surpass their desired standard of performance, or more generally, to succeed. For instance, Beyonce really cut the mustard in her new song. When do we start saying cut the mustard? What is the origin of it? The word mustard goes back via French to the Latin mustum, which is an altogether different substance. This is all in dictionary.com. It was the juice squeezed from grapes before it was made into wine. Mustard is so named because the condiment was originally made by making mustard seeds into a paste with must. What does mustard have to do with excellence? It's not exactly clear why we say cut the mustard. Some have uh, proposed literal derivations, such as cutting down mustard plants. Others suggest a connection to the phrase passing muster when a soldier soldier gets approval after troops are assembled. Um, It sounds like, my friend John, you are teaching me a new phrase, but I think that cutting the mustard is, in fact... Uh, uh, still, would you, Mark, what do you think? Isn't cut the mustard a phrase you've heard before? I, I have. I prefer cutting the cheese, though. Yes, well, that's a different. <laughs> that's a different. I know what that is. Um, so I, I it, apparently dictionary.com says cut the mustard is a phrase. So I'm not. I was about to eat, eat a little bit of humble pie with some mustard on it. But anyway. All right. Let's see here. Ricky, greetings. We aren't acquainted, but I just wanted to say, keep up the good fight. And if you have any sway uh, at all with POTUS, ask him to consider being more strategic with the tweets and do not cause the Dems to close ranks against him. That is bad. Well, I, I wish I could say that I had that kind of sway with POTUS, but I've only I spoke to him. I haven't spoken to him in a year, but uh, I, I do know people around him in the White House. I don't think they can listen to me on this one, but uh, I'll do what I can. I'll do what I can. I do what I don't. I do what I can. Taylor writes, someone obviously forgot to tell Epstein that you can't hide from the Clintons, not even in jail. All right, so Taylor, I assume you're referring to the fact that Epstein was found in a cell last night with uh, some marks, some bruises. or uh, Is it clear, Mark? What Was it a suicide attempt or was he attacked? It wasn't clear from the headlines I saw this morning. Do we know yet? I did not see the story. I'll look oh, it up, though. That's all right. Uh, I, I just, you know, but this is what I'm going to tell you. If for some reason... Epstein does not live to see a trial. Uh, then I got to tell you, wait, jailed killer. Here we go. This is in the New York Post. Jailed killer cop. Question about Jeffrey Epstein's injuries. Investigators suspect that Epstein was assaulted in a lower Manhattan lockup and questioned a hulking ex-cop who's housed in the same unit, according to law enforcement sources. He was placed on suicide watch after he's found sprawled on the floor of his cell, nearly unconscious and with injuries to his neck. Authorities are leaning away from the idea that a convicted pedophile did it to himself, either to commit suicide or merely get transferred out of the infamous Metropolitan Corrections Center. The marks are more consistent with being choked. Epstein, 66, has refused to cooperate with investigators. Huh. Nicholas Tartaglioni is a former Briarcliff Manor cop who faces the death penalty in four drug-related killings upstate. He was wearing earbuds when investigators went to ask him about the incident, but people are looking at this guy. Wow. Uh, folks, let's just get this clear right now. If, and I think this is what my friend Taylor here is, is going for, if Jeffrey Epstein does not live to see trial, it's because this is a cover-up and they let him die in prison. Meaning that they did not keep him safe, this guy, he's got dirt on people. He was, there's all this evidence 
That's, that's, you know, testimony that's been given by his victims. So there's no reason for them to lie about how this guy liked to, t- to make videos of people uh, in sexual acts with underage girls. Well, you know, have you heard any names coming out of that? I mean, well, there have been some people that have been publicly named. They very much claim that it's all a lie. But according to some of his uh, victims, there were other you know, grown men who were caught up in this process, and we have not heard who those names are. So if all of a sudden it comes out that, you know, Epstein is dead, I think it's pretty clear that someone got to him in prison. It'd be like a mob hit in prison. Look, this is, people want this story to go away. Nobody gets the deal that Epstein got. Nobody. It does not, that is not something that happens in the justice system. No one preys on underage girls systematically, has a mountain of evidence against him, and essentially gets away with, with the most minor slap on the wrist. It just, it just doesn't happen. So there must be some reason for it. And the pressure that was brought to bear on someone, we haven't found out who it was. Acosta lost his cabinet position. There must have been something going on here, folks. There was someone that gave the order to make this Epstein case go away. Somebody was doing that. So I'm just uh, just saying that's what do you think, Mark? And uh, I just wanted to let you know, NBC New York is reporting that sources say it was a suicide attempt or it might be a suicide attempt and he was placed on suicide watch. He, I so mean, that, that's either or. That's possible too. Okay, good to know. But I'm just saying, if he is taken out in prison, it is not a coincidence. Yes, and I just 100%. want to say that before anything happens, I agree if this guy you. does not make it to trial, it is not. And if he manages to evade justice because of some double jeopardy protection, then you know the fix has been in all along. So I, I'm, I'm, I've got concern. I have very real concerns about where all this is going. I'm not sure we're going to see justice. Sorry, team. I didn't get into as much roll call today as I meant to. Tomorrow it'll be Friday. You know what that means? Double roll call. So we'll hear, hear more from you then. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Please do uh, send me your thoughts. Send me your well wishes, your your high fives, your prayers, all of the above. Um, here in New York City, because my dad's birthday, I want to give a shout out to my dad, the patriarch of the Sexton family. He is a man who looks 20 years younger than his age. And uh, we love you, dad. Happy birthday. And shields high.